The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host up in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls. Angelo Smalls, how are you today? Cruising, man. Just, you know, post-July 4th. I think we're all feeling the that vacation blues, but we got to get back up in it. And we're starting it off hot. A little, little action with my lax bros. We got the Premier League going on, um, or whatever the PLL is called, or shit like that. And, you know, we're staying with that theme. I love it. 30 seconds into the podcast, just dropping, dropping curse words. Uh, yeah, post-July post 4th blues, obviously this is a big week for – all of our coaching buddies, this is the one live weekend of the summer for AAU tournaments uh, for Division ones, and uh, so guys will hopefully have some stuff to listen to on the road this weekend, but uh, this week, it's funny you mentioned Lax Bros. We have Kyle Martin, the head coach of the Purchase College Panthers, and he is a former Lax Bro, and we talk about that a little bit, former college lacrosse player, now head basketball coach at Purchase College, and you know, it's kind of interesting. The last couple guests we've had on, some have been former players and some just haven't. And, and they've, you know, the way they love basketball and, and how they've built their programs have been kind of interesting. And I, and I felt like, you know, Kyle actually reached out to us and he was saying that if we wanted somebody who didn't engage in coach speak and was a former lax pro because we've talked about it, like, let's get him on the show. And I was like, Smalls, this guy's right up our alley. We got to talk to him. Uh, right on. Right on. And, you know, the highlight of this is the different entry points again to college coaching or coaching in general you don't necessarily have to come from that player background or even in this case a purely basketball background you can come at it in so many different angles and it's really how you dedicate yourself how you still network and then ultimately immerse yourself in the business and you know want to work through the grind and you know reach your level of success whether that be a head coach assistant coach or whatever level you want to uh, ultimately coach at. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And like I said, it's, you know, we're starting to get a lot of these other small college head coaches on that are just building these great programs, you know, and don't get a ton of notoriety. And and I'm I'm really happy to be kind of bringing that platform back a little bit, especially, you know, with the guys we've had on recently, you know, your Nate Hagers, Matt Healings, Nate Champion, obviously getting the job at LeMoyne, you know, Adam Van Zelst actually uh, just got the head coaching job at Arcadia. We've been told that's a great hire, so we're going to monitor him. Maybe a guest that's in the hopper for us in the future. Not sure if that's something to foreshadow. but So I, I've really enjoyed it because it, it shows that every kind of school has different sort of challenges and obstacles to overcome and, and how and why guys go after certain jobs and then what they do when they get there has been really interesting to learn over the last couple months. And I feel like we've kind of really hit our stride with guests like that, Smalls. Yeah, there's, you know, different levels. You hit it on the head. It's different challenges at different levels at different schools, right? Everyone's fit a certain way, whether you're building a program at, you know, a D3 school that a lot of people don't know about, let's say Regis College, right, with Nate, and then, you know, talking to some D1 guys and even the higher level Division II people as well. It's totally different in what type of challenges you face, but ultimately you're still problem solving and you're still trying to run a good program where you're developing student athletes, recruiting the right people and, you know, running a successful daily program at the collegiate level. So I think it's super interesting. There's parallels to draw, but there's definitely differences. And I think you can take a nugget out of each, you know, guest we interview, whether it's D3 high school or division one. 
Absolutely. So like we said, Kyle Martin, head coach, purchased College Panthers. Shorter intro for us. I uh, want to get back to watching NBA Summer League. Uh, you know, the Wizards, Rui Hamushimura, right? Hachimura. I don't know what. Yeah, whatever. But uh, I uh, want to wish everybody who's going out on the road this weekend uh, success. There are a lot of players that need to get scouted and evaluated and aren't going to get opportunities. We've talked about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But uh, also travel safely. This is a time where guys are away from their families and, you know, uh, women's coaches as well. Like guys are, you know, people are just away from their, their families and they're, you know, not sleeping a ton and driving to and from different gyms and listening to the GPS while making phone calls. And so, you know, everybody just kind of be careful out there. And I hope there's a ton of players for guys to see. And I hope that these events are pretty good this weekend. Cause like I said, it's a shame that a lot of guys aren't going to get opportunities later on at these kind of high school camps, but you know, Smalls. And the next time I, I do want to talk about a little bit of your experience with the high school events too, that O'Hara played in it, it, just to kind of hear what you thought about it, but we'll save that for next time. So as always, get in touch with us. We are at Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Reach out to us, leave us a review, let us know what we're doing right, let us know what we're doing wrong. Please do leave us five stars and a review on iTunes, pushes us up the rankings. And then, uh, as always, if you don't like what you hear, you don't have to listen again, but do make sure you click that five star review and subscribe. And enjoy this week's interview with Kyle Martin, the head coach of the Purchase College Panthers. We are pleased to be joined by Kyle Martin, the head coach of the Purchase College Panthers. Kyle, you told us before the interview, did we want a former lax bro who wasn't into coach speak? And, and we are ready for that. So I just want to welcome you on and I want to, I want to see how you're doing tonight. I'm good. I got to say I was a fan of your podcast before being a guest. And I told you that um, you guys do speak in a non-coach speak way that I really appreciate. There, there's some coaching podcasts like Coaching You and a couple other ones out there, and you could literally uh, do a, a manuscript of the interview, switch out the name, you wouldn't know who the coach is. You learn nothing besides um, there's great energy in the gym and everyone's getting better every day. So I, I like the way you guys do it. Um, you talk about non-basketball stuff, basketball stuff. It's a really good show. So thank you. I, we appreciate that. I put that in the notes to like, let uh, you compliment us first before. So that way everyone can just sk- skip past it. But you are entering your fifth season at Purchase. You're coming off a 16 and 11 season, 13 and 7 in the skyline. Uh, this is an interesting week because this is a this is the week of the one July AAU live period event. But you know, having some time to think about your team from this past year and then going into this year, you know, how did you kind of reflect on your past season? Um, honestly, not too happy with it. Um, a lot of people would like some 16 and 11, but I thought we gave away a ton of games. Um, I think it, I think it took too long for us to click as a team and I don't think we were equipped to deal with adverse situations the way I would have liked. Um, we did finish strong. That's always a good sign of improvement, but we did fall flat in our final game of the season. And it really was the worst loss of my coaching career numbers wise, um, mostly in the second half. So you can't feel good with that happening. Um, 
I have to look at myself first and, and see what I did wrong as, as the leader of the program and then kind of evaluate what program and different roster improvements we need to make to prevent you know, losing by 30 points in the final game of the season with 11 losses, which is it's just not acceptable. So. That, and that the loss you're talking about was actually in the uh, conference tournament, right? So I am curious when you when you are playing well and, and something like that does happen, does that necessarily make it harder for you to evaluate the season as a whole because you do just have such a sour taste in your mouth? Yeah, I think everybody felt that way. Now, I guess I'm happy about that. The guys were really almost like a somber, bitter feeling, but they didn't get over it for a long time, and some of them are still not over it. Um, we had a couple snowstorms up there, and this is where I, where I said we didn't handle adverse situations well. Um, we had a couple snowstorms, so we had to play our conference tournament back to back. Farmingdale, where I had five or six days rest, and we kind of made it an excuse to lose by thirty because we were kind of tired. But we got to you got to fight through that. You're you're eighteen to twenty two, twenty three back to back games shouldn't be a reason you lose by thirty points. So I think guys kind of search within themselves and maybe we weren't as mentally tough as we thought we were. And um, it, it just was a really bad ending. So it's hard to get over that losing by that much. Yeah, definitely tough. Uh, but, you know, just reading about your season, especially at the beginning of the season, you guys were tasked with replacing a ton of talent from the prior season, which was super successful. You had four all conference guys, you know, knowing that was coming, how did you as a coach and, you know, entering your fourth season then, how did you prepare of the summer to make sure you were ready to not drop off and to essentially elevate and make your team the best they could be in 2018, 2019? Yeah, so I guess I sounded hard on the last answer because we're not happy, but considering <laughs> yeah. we did lose four all-conference guys, you know, it, 16 wins, you're staying in that range. I guess that's successful to an extent. Um, we, you know, we have high standards, but we, we knew we had some guys on the roster that were pretty good. They just weren't playing a lot. Um, they were going against these all conference guys every day in practice. And, and sometimes we're out playing them, but they were just younger. So they weren't getting the minutes and we didn't take a big step forward. Um, we did add a couple transfers that really helped us. One got first team all conference. Um, the other got second team all conference. So that's huge. And, um, you know, that seems easy on the surface to just add transfers because they're a lot of times they're very talented, but like sometimes there's a reason they're coming to you and they really have to buy into the whole fitting a role thing, not just coming in to be the man. So that doesn't always work, but um, the transfers we had this year were really, really helpful for us. That helped us not fall off completely when losing four, four all conference guys. Now, what, what do you do as a coach? You know, you obviously sound down about the season you had, but it was 16, 11, you had some new guys, you had some transfers. How do you, take the next step with this current team. Obviously you're going to add players and recruits, but what's the step as a coach that you're taking this summer into the fall um, to kind of get over that hump and hopefully win a skyline championship? Well, you know, the, the big thing is we have a, a lot of good guys coming back now, which we didn't have. So we have some continuity there, which is crucial. I think at the division three level, um, the team, you know, the team we lost to had three, three to four year starters on their team. And that's just invaluable. Um, so we do have some guys coming back that we really like three double digit scores, um, a bunch of other guys that played a ton. We do have a good recruiting class coming in. So we do expect to be good on paper. Um, one thing I've learned that, that paper doesn't account for who's putting in the work this summer. And uh, the most really important aspect is chemistry. So we'll wait on setting goals, but 
you know, on paper right now, we, we, we should be pretty good. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, making sure everyone stays focused and everyone just continuing to work hard. It, it's interesting you said you would wait on setting goals because it does feel like, you know, we can put coaches in kind of different buckets, like guys who have really long-term goals and then guys who have very, you know, specific short-term goals. But given that you aren't allowed to be with your guys over the summer, what do you do during the summer other than recruiting to make sure that, you know, like you're able to kind of like touch your team and make sure like, Hey, we are kind of like one team, one goal going into October, November when you can practice again. Yeah. Over summer, all you can do is, is pray your guys are working, I guess. Um, there's not much you can do. To, uh, there's not nothing you really can do. Um, I guess I follow some of them on Instagram. I think that's legal. Uh, see them posting, but that doesn't mean they're actually working because, you know, Carmelo Anthony had a lot of videos and that didn't translate. So oh, man. Um, we're going to see those videos in like 2065. It's going to be like <laughs> mellow with like a white beard and a shaved head, like in a hoodie shooting like half speed mid range jumpers and Chris Brickley being like, Mello's ready to help somebody in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, come on. Those the, are bad. The one kid who hasn't been posting all summer on Instagram is listening to this and they're just like, I got to get to a gym. I'm going to just start posting cra- like a crazy amount of stuff. So it's good. So all the players out there, make sure you're on your gram. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be, yeah, the gram's going up tonight. It's going to be busy, but uh, no, I, I guess that's it. Um, you just kind of hope, but you know, the summer, it, the truth comes out October 15th and we've had some drastic things happen in those terms. Like my first year we had a kid start, came in totally out of shape, brought in a bunch of new guys. He ended up cutting himself. He didn't want to do it anymore. Um, my third year, we had a returning starter. You could tell he put in no work. There was a kid that averaged one point a game last year. He put in a ton of work. He jumped to 10 a game. The other kid barely played. So there, you know, the summer at this level is huge. And you see a lot of these guys, they come in, they get under-recruited out of high school. And if they use that chip on their shoulder correctly, they can really improve. And, you know, we sent guys overseas. We have a guy playing in the um, Greek A1 league now from Purchase. Like, that's high-level stuff. And uh, it's because he continued to work every year and just keep getting better. And, and that's the big thing. You can get there, but what are these guys doing once they get there? So um, it'll be interesting. It always is, October 15th. Yeah. And then, like I said, we mentioned this week in, in terms of recruiting, but, you know, how has your style as a recruiter kind of changed over your career, especially when you've gotten to run your own program, uh, given the amount of roster turnover you can have? What do, what do you typically try to do? Like, what do you typically task your staff with doing when you are recruiting and, and trying to like fill in gaps in certain classes? Yeah, we t- we kind of have this little method going on that it's almost like two two layers. I don't have a scientific term for it but we bring in a few freshmen and a few transfers. And then the following year, we'll kind of piece guys that we may need if somebody's hurt or transfers out or is not interested in playing anymore. And then the following year, we bring in a big class of transfers and freshmen. The following year, we have a smaller class. And that seems to work because the transfers are here for two years. The freshmen get better. They're ready to play as juniors, bring the transfers in, and the next wave just keeps recycling itself. So. We're in a year now where we bring a lot back and we're just trying to find the right pieces to make us a lot better than we were last year. So um, that's kind of been the strategy. Purchase is an art school. Um, Wesley Snipes went here. Mace, the rapper, if you remember him, before he became a reverend. Um, Edie Falco from Soprano. So it's it's a big art school. So we don't have some of the more traditional majors. We don't have like phys ed and business. Um, 
and we have a 39% acceptance rate, which, you know, some of the NESCACs are laughing at, but for a public school, that's pretty low. So we have to kind of be creative in who we recruit. Um, sometimes it's a little harder to get some of the better freshmen in here, and we, we do better on the transfer market. So um, that's kind of been the strategy here. It's worked. We've, we've won a lot of games, but uh, we want to continue to enhance that. Have you been able to get Wesley Snipes in the room motivating your guys? Do they even know who Wesley Snipes is? Being that, I guess this generation might not. Well, um, we add him a lot. Like we, I added him. Um, I added. Uh, I did a poll on Instagram. Who was a better purchase? Because Mace actually played basketball for purchase. Yeah, Mace was on the team. I actually, I looked that up. Yeah, so we did a poll, and it said, who's a better alum from Harlem? And we did a kid that graduated a couple of years ago in Mace, and we saw that Mace actually voted for himself, so we thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Not that he's, like, big time anymore, but we we thought that was cool. Um, Wesley Snipes has not gotten back to us. I think he has some of his own issues on his hands right now. Um, he's he's kind of ducked us a little bit, but no, Mace, Mace was cool. He, he, he liked our poll there on Instagram. Hey, we, we are a development podcast in some form uh, each episode. So I want you I want you to take this back to your first few months at Purchase, you know, becoming the first time head coach. What was it like for you and what, how did you approach hiring a staff and essentially changing a culture and ultimately rebuilding and building a recruiting class as well in those first couple months at Purchase? Yeah, it was it was tough. I was living in Syracuse um, with my fiance at the time, so I was kind of commuting back and forth, which is a four-hour drive until we found a place. And um, I got the job in June, and um, they're coming off a nine and seventeen season. And I didn't really have time to add too many guys at that late in the game, so we kind of had what we had. Um, I walked into a situation basically where the AD said point blank. We can't have any off-the-court issues. We can't have new roster every semester. Um, I don't care if we win one game or 20 games. 20 games, just make it a really good culture. And, um, you know, I think we've really gotten to that. That might be the, the greatest thing we've done. But that started from, from day one. Um, at first, I would say the returning group was a bit resistive. Um, you know, they didn't know me. I didn't know them. I mean, we would work with a strength coach that was outsourced. And I wasn't allowed to go. It's an optional thing in Division Three, But I would get reports back that like four or five guys would show up, three would be late. So it was pretty bad. But um, it got so bad, I, I added a walk-on that I never saw play because I thought I was going to cut so many guys. And ironically, he ended up being a two-time captain and three-year starter. Um, and I actually never even saw him play. So you never know where you're going to get players. Um, but eventually they bought in and they, they really like were a good group of guys that didn't know me and I didn't know them. They finished my first year really strong. I think it was like 10 and five or something in the second semester. And I still have some pretty good relationships with some of those guys, which is, is neat because I never did. I never recruited them or anything like that. So, um, it did, you know, my, I hired, uh, you might know him, Shiva Sentel was our assistant. He's now Chicago. And he was just like running around New York state, trying to find us late transfers. Anybody, he would send me these names of obscure guys, just trying to, add guys in August, which is like the most difficult thing to do. Uh, it got to a point like our housing and our financial aid won't even answer. Like it's, it's August. Like what are you, what are you doing here? Um, so uh, we, he, he tried, I tried, but we, we had what we had and, and eventually it turned out to be pretty good. They finished well, and, you know, they're, they're good guys. 
uh, after all. So. Yeah. And you highlighted, you highlighted some of the challenges, obviously you face early on, and especially in this particular situation, but how do you think you've grown? Like what has been your biggest improvement as a head coach? And I think we talk about it. Sometimes there's certain things that you can only learn being in the head coaching role. Like you can't, learn it until you experience it as a head coach. So what do you felt like, feel like those items have been for you? Yeah, I thought I was John Wooden until I actually got the job. Uh, oh, we all. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got all the answers. I still have all the answers. That's why we do the podcast and don't actually, you know, sit in that first chair. <laughs> but you know, I planned that 25 and 0 season. We were good to go. Like, you know, let's roll there. I had this perfect plan ran out 20 pages. It looked great in the interview. Um, it was a pretty long interview process. It's about, it was about a month and a half, three rounds. Um, then you get going and you realize you really have no idea. And that game plan didn't really matter because there's just so much stuff you don't, you don't expect to have. You, just, you can't predict. Um, so, so improvement wise, I think probably a little overbearing my first year or a lot overbearing trying to change the culture, really force that. Um, officials got the brunt of that. Players did. Um, anybody that got in our way. Um, but I think I've gotten a lot calmer. Players might disagree. I think uh, I've stuck with the players win games and coaches just kind of guide them their mentality that I've always had. So that's kind of helped out a little bit. And uh, I think we've gotten – better at recruiting the right mix of guys based on chemistry, which is so important. Um, my first year was just like bring as much talent as possible, but that doesn't always work out. So um, we've got a lot more uh, aware of what kind of guys we're actually bringing in as far as how they fit on a basketball court. Um, things you don't think of when you're assistant though. Let's talk about your background for a second. Cause we did mention this, like you were a lacrosse player at Albany. What, what made you get into basketball and, and also like culturally speaking, you know, most lacrosse players, like they're going to be a little bit different than basketball players, just in the terms of the teams a little bit bigger. The sports, uh, it's just different. It's very fast. It's actually fun to watch. But like, what? Where did that transition come from, Kyle? Like, where you were just like, you know what, I, I want to coach basketball. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird path. Actually, for the longest time, I had this self-anointed uh, title of being the best lacrosse playing basketball coach. I don't know if there was any competition for that title, but. I always thought I was the best lacrosse playing basketball coach. And I actually found out the other day that Fairfield, new Fairfield basketball coach was a three-time all-conference lacrosse player. So uh, I was kind of disappointed to hear. I was not all-conference, so I was disappointed to hear that. Jay, Hold on, Jay, Jay Young? Young I was, it, was Jay Young yeah. really a lacrosse player? Jay, Jay Young's like 5'7". Yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah. five seven can work in lacrosse. What is that? Are you an attack? Are you attack if you're five seven? Right, well, you, you, you can be. You can be. Yeah, probably attack. Right, you're probably playing from X. You're probably scooping <laughs> a little bit, trying to take out, rip some twine. Am I right about that, or am I wrong about it? I think I'm right. <laughs> Most five seven guys are attack man. I, like one of my best friends was like five six, and he was like two time All American midfielder. That's rare. You have to kind of be an attack yeah. man at five seven. Jordy um, Wolf, most recently from shipping. Duke. I'm gonna, five. I'm gonna I'm gonna at Jay Young, one of the guys that we uh or or text Jimmy McDonald, who's their new Dobo, and be like, we'll get Jay Young on and talk about his lacrosse career. Cause this is really intriguing now. We'll talk nothing about basketball. But anyway, sorry. So you're the second best lacrosse playing basketball coach, is what we're saying. Or the worst. You know, so I was one of one, now I'm two of two. <laughs> yeah, like 
I had something going for me, but anyways, but so I, I was a, a like a decent high school, a good high school basketball player at a really small school. I visited some division three schools, really good ones. Uh, like academically, RIT was one of them in Harwick in New York. Um, I had a really good senior year in lacrosse on a really good team. And I really wanted to play division one sport and I wasn't going to do that in basketball. I was kind of driven by the level. Um, so I decided to go play lacrosse in college at Albany. I had an opportunity to do that. Um, but I actually, I always liked basketball more. I even, I quit Albany lacrosse at the end of my freshman year. I went to Hudson Valley Community College to play basketball and it was just miserable. Um, I lived about 35 minutes from the gym. I was uh, there. They, they didn't have like a home court because it was rented out every day. So we we're driving all over Albany looking for practice space. And some of the guys were just local Albany guys that I just didn't have any relation to. So I couldn't go to a third school. So luckily, the coach of Albany, Scott Mar, he's still there. Like, let me come back to Albany and play lacrosse again because I didn't want to be a. It's a 2002. Nobody transferred three times. You, <laughs> kind of look like an idiot. So uh, now it's kind of normal. <laughs> yeah, you're just a, you're just ahead of the game back then. You were just good to go. <laughs> now, now dudes are at their third school in four years. It's unbelievable. The thing you could take away from this whole podcast is um, revolutionary, and I'm the second best lacrosse playing basketball coach. That's it. <laughs> just summarize that, and we're done. <laughs> I, I do think there are a lot of similarities between the games. I mean obviously totally different sports, but there are similarities. What did you kind of take from your coach, you know, uh, coach Mara at, at Albany in terms of lacrosse that you've kind of brought into your own basketball coaching career? Cause I, I'm sure there's some comparisons there. He just runs a really good program. Like it's like a huge family. And I know lacrosse gets like the lax bro moniker, private school, uh, we were one of the only state schools playing in 2002. And we had like a, a really blue collar, like underdog mentality. And it kind of continues to this day. Um, we had the ugliest colors, purple and yellow. We had the worst gear. And we would just go, we'd go beat Ivy League schools all the time. And it was pretty cool. Um, so that's what he always just recruited guys that really liked each other, that really, uh, you know, they hung out after college. They went to each other's weddings. And, and that's, that's huge. I, chemistry is kind of our number one thing in our program that I look for as far as like an identity goes. So um, that's the biggest thing from him. But, you know, I was after Albany, I was selling insurance, which is sounds intriguing, right? Um, it's makes you a ton of money. Um, about three years into it, I was making a lot of money. I was going to a lot of happy hours, um, you know, but I was just bored out of my mind and I woke up it was like literally an aha moment I woke up and I I said like what am I doing every day to like contribute at all to this this society or this world and I have no competitive aspect in my life um I miss the locker room setting um so I wanted to get into coaching and I, I didn't love lacrosse so I didn't want to do that and uh I decided to try to pursue basketball which is really really hard if you don't have any references or experience which I had none of so um I did decide to do it I responded to a newspaper ad for like a local startup AAU team if you can imagine how how well ran that was and I did that um I started emailing schools to work their camps um I even did like hoop group skills camp and Mahoyne and Villanova I did Villanova's camp uh, just to try to like meet anybody that could be a reference for me because um, I had nobody. I had lacrosse, I had lax bros. There, nobody, nobody wants to, they don't know any basketball coaches. Um, so I went that route and, and 
oddly enough, I emailed like a hundred coaches to just be a volunteer because the money thing was fine with insurance. I was still hanging on to that. And the only one that wrote me back was Adam Stockwell at Hamilton. And it's like, it's like hitting the lotto for a, a inexperienced coach. Cause he's like, an, he's one he's an incredible coach division one experience. Hamilton's in the NESCAC. So I got to jump in to the NESCAC at Hamilton with no experience whatsoever. Even as a volunteer, it was amazing. So him just saying yes to me, two hour commute, whatever, um, didn't matter. I was just so ecstatic to be a part of it. And, and you know, see guys like Aaron Toomey my first year and uh, John DeBartolomeo for uh, Rochester. We played against him. That's a great, that's a speed course in college basketball for, for an inexperienced coach. So that's how I ultimately got into it. But it's not easy with no references. I'll say that. What what was that for? What was your first year like? I mean, especially as a volunteer and, you know, you're kind of, I'm, I'm certain that given what you just told us, like you were all in, like I'll work 24 hours a day if I have to. But, you know, how was it learning that first year, uh, what it was like to be on a, a on a really good basketball staff? Yeah, it was 100% learning. I didn't – I can't say I really contributed much. Like, it would be a lie because I didn't know a lot. He really just let me learn. It was it was fantastic. But I did learn just, like, the, the highest level of Division three. so kind of what was required, what type of players went into there. Um it was a great experience. Uh, you, you're going against Wesleyan and Amherst. We played twice, and Middlebury was number one or two in the country that year. Um, so just like, just really a sponge. I remember I'd save every practice plan, write as many notes on it as I could that I could remember. Um, I still have the binder, and uh, just try to learn as much as you, and be grateful for that opportunity that I was given. When did you decide you had to make money, Kyle? That's always the big like fork in the road moment for a lot of guys in college. I think it's like, okay, well now I got to figure it out. What was that moment for you? Well, I'm backwards. I actually made money before I coached. And so I did insurance sales, which was an office cubicle, like 8am to 8pm type job. You have to call cold call at night. Um, I got out of that, but I did like a, a work from home consulting type insurance job. And I've been able to, I was able to do that. So, so I was making money doing that while coaching. Uh, oh, okay. Now, now Hamilton was volunteer. Uh, a Hamilton alum is the coach at Morrisville, Joe Smith. So coach Stockwell said, if you want to go to Morrisville, which recruits more locally and there's money there, you can get some money, not a lot, pay for gas. And right. it's just, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll bump up to the top assistant rather than being the volunteer. And I took that, I, I did that. And that was awesome because, um, Joe Smith, Hamilton alum, tremendous coach. So I got to work for two great coaches right away. Uh, we went to the Sweet 16 my first year and the Elite Eight my second year there. So in my first three years as an assistant, NESCAC, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Like that's, that's a speed course that I got. I, you, I'm so lucky to have that. Hey, it's Adam Carolla letting you know about my newest podcast, Going Racing. Me and Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, that is. We'll uh, highlight the fastest cars. We'll talk about the best races and the best celebrities in motorsports. Subscribe now at Podcast One. Summer action is heating up in the beginning of July with a lot of excitement in the Major League Baseball, Women's World Cup. We got UFC. We got a whole John Jones fight going on. We got MLS soccer and so much more in the summer. There's only one place that has you covered and one place you can trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. Now listen, 
Major League Baseball, we've got the All-Star game coming up. Nothing's more fun than betting on a, a game that no one has any idea what it's, what's going to happen. No one loves that more than me. We have the home run derby. I'll throw a couple shekels, maybe do a little live bet round by round. My Phillies are trickling in, so I got to – I got a couple second half bets and hopefully we can make it to the playoffs and really get going. Uh, you know, baseball to me is the summer and July, August, September, there's nothing like it. And then we'll trickle into the playoffs. So I'm super excited and I'm super excited to start betting every day. Now that I'm off the July 4th kick, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code podcast one, or you can text Bet now to 238-669 to receive a 50% welcome bonus. That's bet now to 238-669 to get started with your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And now, back to Kyle Martin. Yeah, and you, you mentioned it's a tough way to get involved in coaching without any references or maybe experience but you know you enter yourself you get this job obviously at Hamilton and then Morrisville how do you continue to network you know throughout the business not just on the recruiting show with high school coaches and things like that but actually in the college coaching market how did you go about networking and getting yourself visible uh, and creating those genuine relationships yeah, I'm probably not as good as it some. I, I do see some guys out there that just know everybody. Um, but I do have a pretty good small network of guys from camps, from playing against them. And, you know, maybe we exchanged film and kept a relationship that way. Um, working different things, different clinics, uh, different elite camps, things like that. So probably just that. But really, everybody you meet, treat them well. You never know where people end up. It's crazy the stories that happen with one day they're a third assistant at a division three and the next day they're coaching the D league or something. It's, it's just unbelievable. So you never know. Um, I mean, you should be treating people well, no matter what, but I've always kind of respected those head coaches when I was an assistant, they would just talk to the whole staff and shake the whole staff's hands before the games. And um, I try to be that way now. And uh, you know, that's how you really make lasting relationships. Just being like a genuine Good guy, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think if you, you know, you start creating relationships and you actually like one another, it's pretty easy no matter where they end up, whether they're out of basketball or they end up being a Division One head coach. It doesn't really matter. It's all about fostering those relationships. And I also wanted to comment, I think you made a really good point. You know, your first year at Hamilton, just soaking in and kind of like taking notes and you didn't feel like you contributed. But I think as a young coach, that's one of the most important things you can do where you're not so much speaking, you're listening a ton, you're taking notes, you're watching film, you're learning how people recruit and picking people's brains. That's one of the most valuable years you can have and to build your career up. I think everyone's in such a rush now. It's like, I got to get out there. I got to recruit. I got to find the next guy who's supposed to go to division one and he comes to division three. It's not really like that. I think you have to take your time, and I think that's valuable in your first year there. Uh, but I want to shift it. One more question from me. Uh, just talk about you know personal life and coaching. You're married. You have a son. 
we talk about this all the time. Division three, it's so easy to find a game and just go to one every night and be like, yeah, I need to find dudes. So I got to go to this local game or I got to drive two hours here. How do you maintain that work-life balance throughout the season? And, you know, make breaks for yourself since you're not really on a recruiting calendar at all. Well, I'm not sure yet because we had our son three days after our season ended. So maybe we should check back in. Catching up on sleep. <laughs> my, my wife was literally like nine months pregnant sitting in uh, Washington Heights, watching us play Yeshiva in front of a packed crowd and then went to the Farmingdale playoff game and the Farmingdale staff kept coming over checking on her during the whole game, which was awesome. You know, it's like, and I'm friends with the Farmingdale coach. It's a real relationship. And the staff was, you know, checking on my wife, which I'm forever grateful for. That kind of actually made it less hard. The loss I was not as upset about because it was like such a, like a cool human moment where I have like these people that I don't even know checking on my wife. But so I, I don't know yet how it goes with a kid. Um, my wife is really, really into our team and our games. Um, if she can't go, she'll watch it online and I'll get halftime texts and things like that. Um, she's incredibly supportive of what I'm doing. I'm in support of what she's doing. Um, so like, I guess advice for people is just fine. And I'm not, I'm not earning points here, but find like an incredible wife that likes basketball and then she'll support what you're doing. And also you'll, you'll, you'll actually like your wife. So you'll make time to have a work-life balance without thinking about it. So that's, that's huge. Uh, can't, can't understate that. Cause I, there is a lot of good coaches and they mysteriously quit coaching or they're out of the game because uh, personal reasons. And I'm always thinking it could be like a tough wife or something. I don't know. I'd love to, love to pull people on that. No, I mean, it, it definitely is something. And I, and I think guys often think about it later in their career, but you know, early it's just like, all right, well, I got to take this job. I got to do it. And you never kind of decide like, all right, it, it doesn't come up that often. Like, Hey, is this relationship something that like, maybe I need to be considering or do I go take a GA spot in, you know, San Jose, California, because it's a job on D1 staff. It's like, it's, it's weird. It's, and, and it, you know, your priorities change. I think you're definitely right about that. Uh, I want to circle back though, real quick, before we go into coach speak, you did mention about how like you were commuting from Syracuse the, at the beginning, but why was purchase the right job? Like, how did you know that this was the job for you? Did, had you interviewed for other head coaching jobs before? And, you know, did it feel like this was just the right one or, or, or what was it for you that you were like, I, th- I, I know I can be a head coach. Yeah, uh, I've interviewed for a few, um, and when you meet the committee, it's always an interesting part of the process. When you, you get that call, you get the phone interview, and if you're lucky enough to get in and meet the committee, um, I've had I've met with some really really dry committees before, and you know, just different personalities um, didn't really match mine, and that's okay. Probably wouldn't want to work there, and they probably wouldn't want me there. Um, but the athletic director at Purchase is, is, is a guy that I'd, I'd probably be friends with if we crossed paths in a different setting in life. Like, you know, he's just like a, he's an Italian guy. He's fiery. Um, he's got a lot of personality, he's like a great guy. And the whole committee was just like awesome people. So you, you, you sense that, um, you know, it's a state school. So you have an opportunity to win there. Um, I liked the fact that um, one of my favorite parts of coaching is kind of the psychology aspect of it, the leading aspect, the translating it to real life. And I knew they were really searching for somebody that could you know, kind of mold young men a little bit more. So that was something that interested me. And, uh, you know, downstate New York's an awesome area. So that was also a, a big draw um, being 
45 minutes from New York. Um, recruiting's actually that, that's back to your last question. Recruiting's a lot easier because you're you're so close to so many events. Um, it's just it's got a, it checks a lot of boxes. Purchase does, but yeah, I did interview with some committees that just did not match my personality. Um, I will say. Any job I have not gotten, and most coaches will never admit this, I'm a psychotic competitor. I'll, I'll keep track of how they do and try to outperform them. Um, there is one school that didn't hire me. That the guy's just killing it, but I would have hired him over myself too. Um, and I'm like, no, no shame there. The guy had a tremendous resume, and he, I think he's won like three or four conference championships in six years. Um, yeah, I won't name the school, but it's all compliments. So <laughs> that's the only one though. I don't, th- I don't, I don't honestly think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's funny. Like you're right. Guys won't admit that, but at, at a certain point, like you need to decide what drives you. And if it's like, Hey, like I didn't get this job. I would have done a great job. I'm, I'm going to do my best every day to make sure that, you know, cause honestly, kind of like we hear that stuff all the time in every professional sports draft. It's like somebody gets drafted before them. Like you think RJ Barrett doesn't want to be better than Zion Williamson. Like obviously he does. <laughs> it's just so, I, I think that's awesome to hear. Uh, last question for me. Just to, in terms of where you are in your career right now, going into your fifth year at Purchase, you know, beyond just your short-term goals, what do you what do you have kind of circled on your long-term goals or your ultimate career goals from this point forward? Now, I said I don't like to coach speak, and I think that you know, get better every day. I, Here it comes. Get better every day. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I I will one hundred honest one hundred percent honestly say like, and it's probably my background. I don't care about level at all or any of that stuff. Um, this, I feel I'm so grateful to be a head coach of a college program considering I did play college lacrosse. Um, I feel like I'm playing with house money. So I don't care about level at all. I love being the head coach of a program. I think it's, to me, more fits me than being an assistant in a Division One school or something like that. Um, I, I just, I don't care about that stuff. What I, I have more of like a competitive goal long term. And so it's kind of changing the question, I guess. But I just want to build a program, and it's, it's weird, that walks into the gym that's consistently like the top elite program, three losses, two losses a year. And, like, the other team's like, oh, man, we got to play these guys. Like, like, like when Mike Tyson used to enter the ring. Like, I'm trying to get to that level where we win 23, 24 games every year, like an Amherst or like Gonzaga in Division One. Um, I just think that's a really cool thing to get to that level. And it's just like, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And I don't care if it's a, someday something happens where it's like a, a junior high girls program and we're, we just go up 12 and 0 and beat all the girls. That's, that's what I want. I just love that as competitor. So. I mean, every coach, every coach in the country, regardless of level should try to be like the guy who's the head coach at the, of the Amherst women's basketball team. That, that dude oh, is like, yeah. he, he's like, He's like Gino Ariema, but like better than Gino. Like, and, and people will be like, that's absurd to think about. But it's like, that guy's lost like six games in the last like 10 years or something. It's, it's ridiculous. But like, how do you feel? You walk into the gym, the other team, you already got 10 points on them. And that's, I just think that's a, like a, an approach that like will help me continue to work hard recruiting. You know, there's a lot of coaches, that their first and second year, they bring in these awesome recruiting classes and they kind of drop off a little bit. I think really make, you know, kind of trying to build towards that, which might be impossible to do, um, kind of keeps me, you know, aggressive towards kind of recruiting like a first year coach uh, every year. Um, but no, I don't ever think about level. This business is too crazy to start setting goals. Like, I want to be a division one, division two, whatever it is. 
you just have no idea like what's going to happen. Like it's not a, people are like, uh, it's not a real job market. They, they don't, people don't understand it. Like uh, you go for a job and there's community college jobs. They have like 250 applicants and uh, it's just, it's just crazy. It's, it pays like $3,000 a year and uh, there's one job and maybe there's somebody on the board that has somebody that knows somebody and they get the job anyway. So it's not like a fair job market. So to set goals would almost set you up to like be disappointed, I think, in that sense. Um, kind of a lame answer, but that's how I feel. I, I honestly, honestly, what you were just saying about like not being a fair job market, like I, I honestly think that's one of the most important things for guys to understand in, in any level of coaching is like you you do, like you have this goal, like I want to be a division one assistant. And for like the maybe 1% of people, it works out. But for everybody else, like you can't just beat yourself up because you're exactly right. You have no idea who's in the interview room who has a relationship with somebody else and, and they have to do a favor for that person and you might have been better and you just didn't get the job. Like that that stuff happens all the time. And I think like that's one of the hardest realities to face in the industry is you could honestly be the best candidate and you can outwork everybody. And sometimes it just doesn't matter. And that's life. It really is like that. I know successful coaches, like really good, 70% winning percentages, um, which is like incredible in college basketball. They were Literally, I can think of two that were Hall of Famers at said college that couldn't even get an interview for that college when the job opened up. Like, that's how crazy it is. I'm like, are they all conference at that school? They're all modern. They couldn't even get an interview. So who am I being, you know, a former lacrosse player that, you know, volunteered and sold insurance to think I'm entitled to any job? I'm not. So I'm not going to go out there and, and set these crazy goals of trying to get it. But it's just it's, it's a wild business. Oh, definitely. Uh, let's go into coach speak. We'll end that some of that coach speak with a, a, a we'll just do one quote. Cause we did kind of talk about the other one, but, uh, so this one is from Eastern Kentucky head coach, A.W. Hamilton. So Smalls, you got it. Oh man. You like to put me on the spot, embarrass me with my reading. All right. When I got here, the thing that we had to do was have an identity and a brand of basketball. We didn't have an identity. We didn't have a brand. I was so proud of our team last year. I didn't stand up and say, we're going to win the OVC. I said we'd play harder and faster than anyone in the country. You know, Tyler mentioned this is A.W. Hamilton. You know, relating this to when you got the job at Purchase, what and how did you try to establish your identity with your players? And how difficult was that to get into place? I I did, real quick before you answer, Kyle, I did pick this for – on the court, uh, we did talk a little bit about what you wanted to do off the court, but I meant specifically as like your playing style on the court. Yeah, like hard and fast. Yeah, our playing style is four out, and we play a lot of man-to-man. We play four out with a lot of ball movement. Uh, it's a motion offense. So it actually kind of overlaps with off the court. Um, and we talked about it early, the identity goal of uh, the chemistry aspect and togetherness. Um, I want our identity on the court to be a team. We're looking at 18 assists a game. If we can get that, uh, we're, we're tracking how many rotations are missed. And I think those two things, you know, good man-to-man help side rotations and, and ball movement that gets your team a really good shot every time is dependent on chemistry and togetherness. So they kind of overlaps on court, off court. Um, that's the biggest thing we're looking for. It, it, not like havoc or anything like that. We're just trying to execute and executing um, together. And, and we, we found if we can get a really good shot every time down and help each other out on defense and try to make as many stops as possible, we're going to win a lot of games. It's not, let's not overcomplicate things. Um, that's what we do. Um, now with that, um, 
it, it, it's hard because every year you got to kind of you're talking about all it almost sounds wishy-washy to some of these guys you're talking about together together chemistry chemistry you know brotherhood all this stuff um and my first year these guys are like well, what is this guy talking about they just wanted to get buckets they just wanted to you know they just wanted to go one-on-one break their guy down off the dribble and, and, and see what would happen and every every day i'm like let's get the best shot for purchase and um finally they started to do that and we, we they noticed like we got better shots we won more games um we had one year my second year we had six guys i don't even know how you do the math six guys average double figures um their expression everyone eats like it's more fun to win that way if, if a bunch of guys are at 12 13 a game so that is what i want our identity to be i had a uh, former player come to our playoff a playoff win last year and after the game he's like i don't want to sound corny coach but uh you guys look like you love each other on the court and i'm like no that's like like that's my goal that's what that's what i want our identity to be that's that's amazing and even if we lose a game like these guys are going to be friends and go to each other's weddings and hang out with each other after college. And that's really, that's awesome. That's like everything. So, um, very, uh, like chemistry related identity on and off the court. Um, you guys remember when, uh, when Jimmer for was like tearing up college basketball at BYU? Yeah. yeah, of course. I would like this. I didn't have Twitter. I, I still have my own account, but like, I'm not a big hot take guy, but my hot take was like, it looked awful. Like his teammates would literally just stand around and watch him take like dribble for like 90% of the game and take like 62 shots a game. And he's incredible. Don't get me wrong. Or he was like, but like, it's not like fun to win that way. And then if like he gets in foul trouble or something, your team like falls off a cliff. So I've do, never yeah. liked that style of play. I've always liked a lot of guys involved. Don't uh, over last year where they had like five guys in double figures when they won the title. I just think that's, way better brand of basketball so that's always what i wanted to have as an identity where did you stand on the uh warriors are better without kevin durant hot take fest over the last month and a half <laughs> it's insane he was walking up and down the court in that game he played and had 12 points in like three minutes <laughs> he was literally like walking he tried one move and got hurt again but like yeah that, i mean <laughs> i don't i don't know who would yeah, you deserve to be deactivated I think uh, they're better without. Yeah, it's it is funny too because I do think like the ISO type mentality it, it makes some sense and like I I get what you're saying a little bit especially with Jimmer and in college when the game's shorter. But I also genuinely felt like when I would watch Houston this year that like they loved James. I, I know Chris Paul had his issues, but like they kind of loved James Harden. I think just because he was so good. But they have so many possessions like that where nobody else touches the ball and he just dribbles it a hundred times and shoots a step back three from thirty five feet and it goes in an awful lot because he's unbelievable. But like, I think it's interesting, like how you can cultivate it either way, I guess. Like you're, you just got to get buy-in for what you do. But I think like, wouldn't you say Kyle, that like, if you win, it's probably going to be easier to get guys to buy in to either style. Yeah. And I'll say disclaimer, what I said, there is no, I love coaches that say like, Oh, two, three zone stinks or maybe a pack line stinks. Like everything has worked for somebody at some point. In yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and, and people think I had an assistant come in for like a year, and he's like, "No, two, three zones for like wusses or something." I'm like, "Dude, <laughs> Nebraska Wesleyan won a D3 title last year with a three-two zone. I don't know anybody else that won it, but they, they did because they were really good at it. Um, every year it changes. So yeah, it's it's you know style 
of the coach and how they implemented and, and you start to win, you get reassured a little bit. But um, the good news for me, my first year, we were three and seven to start and they were not moving the ball a lot and listening that much. I mean, they were listening to an extent, but um, they started to move the ball more and we started to see win. So that, that does help a lot. Um, you're absolutely right. That is, that is one reason I do think guys haven't been super successful. And Smalls is going to get so mad at me for not, for like derailing city review for a second. No, but we're like, great. I well, that, love it. That's like one reason I do think a lot of guys, when they try to do, we were talking about this before, like how coaches steal and they try to do different things, but like pack line, for example, I, I legitimately think like Tony Bennett, like he, he just like lives and breathes like the right way to coach that. And I think if you just try to steal that and you're not totally into it as a coach and it's not something that you love to watch or a style that you're super comfortable playing, I think it, it makes it really hard, a lot harder for you to kind of be the best at coaching it if it's not what you believe in. Cause like, here's the thing, like Virginia's awesome and they were super fun. I thought they were fun to watch despite how boring they were just cause like they, it was a really great team and they had a lot of things go right. But like, I can never coach pack line because I think it's super boring. And I don't know that I have the patience to be watch as much film as I need to do and get as good at, at learning like why pack line works and what guys to recruit it. The same thing with like two, three zone. Like there's a reason Syracuse is the best at all time at it. Like other guys aren't, I think, equipped to really do it because they don't really love it like they claim. And I think like that's a big fraudulent part of the business where guys just try to steal things that work for other guys and they're just not equipped to do it because it's not what they like or what they want to run, I feel like. It's a good point. Yeah, I, uh, the, I've always had, like, really athletic guys. We have a bunch of guys that are, like, 6'3 to 6'6", six, six, interchangeable, the guards, like a big four-man guard type. And everyone's always like, why don't you press? And I, the guys, why don't we press? I'm not a good press coach. I don't believe in it. I think when we play against teams that press, we're going to score 110 points if we're just sound in our press break. Um, Chaka Smart asked when he made his little run there, like everybody was pressing and everybody was budgeting 110 points a game besides VCU. Yeah. It was oh hilarious. My. Like, and now like nobody's pressing anymore because, you know, he's not doing good at Texas. Like it's hilarious how people just copy in this, in this business. It's um, like the only yeah. guy that presses now is, is Bob Huggins. And like, he totally changed the way that he recruited. And he's just like one of the best of all time, obviously. So it's a, it's a, a, a tiny bit different, but like, Nobody else plays that way. It's just not the way it was like Bruce Pearl, Shaka, Oliver Purnell. And then now it's Bob Huggins. Like nobody else does it. And it's like, you know, now people are like, oh, why don't we press? And then teams just get shredded because guys are too good at ball handlers now. Uh, yeah. Big guards thrown over the top. Center yeah. doesn't run the floor. No, it's, it's, I, I'm not good at it. But there are, you know, there's a couple guys that are good at it still out there. Uh, my buddy uh, at Sage, Brian Barnes, he's like Mr. Press. And he's always like, come on, press. Get, get the horses out there and press. He's always texting me. I'm like, not me, man. Not me. Not going to do it. Our second half field goal percentage goes way down. They get tired. So I um, always got an excuse. Why not? Yeah, the ability to adapt is always a part of coaching. And, um, you know, you're going to adapt from this segment because now we're going into the city review. Uh, we got Westchester County, which is very interesting. So it's a wide range, a host of opportunities for us to really get into. So you're going to give us three restaurants, two bars, and an activity. I'm expecting a lot of fire out of you. Cause you've got the fire and like, you just, you're, you're all passion. So this is, this is big time here. Here we go. No pressure. Jeez. Well, <laughs> you know, if you had me on 10 years ago, before I was coaching, we would have had a good time. Um, I'm, it's going to be a little more husband and wife oriented. That's okay. Friend That's oriented. okay. Me and Tyler okay. can go. We can join you and the wife. We can have nice dinners. It's all good. You know, like, yeah, let's do it. My wife can hang out with all my guy friends, though. She's, she's cool. She will, um, you know, she's hitting a little wall post 
maybe staying out too late. But when I say couples, it can be two or three guys, you know, coming out, you know, bros coming out and hanging out with us. So the first we're going to go, uh, we'll go Madison Kitchen in Larchmont, which is about 20 minutes south of our campus. It's my favorite trend in the uh, culinary world, the small plates craze. Um, tremendous small plates. I think the guy won like Man vs. Chef or one of those shows. Um, total hipster. He's got tats. He wears a backwards hat. Like he's great hipster chef. Can't go wrong with a hipster chef. Um, also, we got we got um, Ichiro Sushi. I wouldn't remember the name if it didn't sound like Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, it's on the Marinac Ave in White Plains. Um, Marinac Ave is kind of like the college party spot. So you can go with me and my wife. We can get sushi. The bartender's real social. Um, he makes these good Mai Tais that like, knock you out. Uh, and then you guys can take off and go to the, you know, the bar district after. Um, so helping you out there. Um, underrated Italian place that has a special place in my heart is in City Center, White Plains. It's called Trattoria 632. Um, quick story we had we lost last year the team the team that went 18 and 9 um to the the worst record team in our conference they're actually really good now they were in our playoffs and they're going to be really good next year but we lost last year they were i think they were like four and 21 and uh we lost to them on a saturday and i was so depressed because our fourth loss in like five games me and my wife just like went posted up there we played like a two o'clock game we posted up there like five o'clock from midnight at this Italian place and it really made me forget that game and um then the next day I was like I gotta ease up on these guys like they're tired of me they're worn out and I went into we had a game that Monday I gave them off Sunday because the seven day rule we had a game that Monday Martin Luther King Day versus Wesleyan who was 14th in the country and I went in like so peace and love and the guys were like what are you on something and we ended up beating Wesleyan on a buzzer beater that was the number one play on Sports Center two days after losing to the worst team in our league that's substantially worse than NESCAC. And I'd like to credit Trattoria 632 and White Plains for, for doing that. So underrated Italian place, great story to me. So um, what's the go-to meal at, at this Italian? Like, what are you getting? You walk in there, you got to have something in mind, right? I have a chicken parm with vodka pasta on the side, you know, switch out the red sauce, give me the vodka pasta, dip the chicken parm in the vodka sauce, it's a whole different meal, whole different experience. Um, but, you know, you, you, you get some good bottles of wine, good Italian places, they'll start bringing you stuff out that you didn't order. Um, and that's always a, a good touch. Um, so that's, that's what they did there that night. And it, it changed our season. We ended up winning like nine of 10 games, uh, Trattoria. So um, good spot. That's awesome. Yeah. Now we gotta we gotta go to two bars. I know we had a little bar mixed in there. We had some bottles of wine, but give me some pure bar aspect. Freebird White Plains, tremendous happy hour, good pints, uh, good good beers on tap. They have an upstairs uh, open air patio in the summertime. Love it. I never eat the food there. They, everybody has food and drink down in Westchester because it's so expensive. You have to have both. Yeah. Uh, just to like stay open. But it's it's good for the, the, the drinking aspect because they do have a lot of local beers on tap. Good bar. Um, and then, you know, we'll kind of change it up. They have a bar in there, but Captain Lawrence is a brewery in Elmsford, which is about five minutes outside of White Plains. Great spot. They have an indoor bar, an outdoor, like, game area with, like, uh, you know, cornhole and, like, other things. Uh, 
They have a open warehouse area where they have bands come in, um, local beer. They have some food there. Uh, they used to let dogs in. They stopped doing that, which is a letdown, but still a really good local brewery, that whole brewery craze that's happening in New York right now. So um, I'm going to go with Captain Lawrence and Elmsford as my number two bar. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Games, we can get some competitions involved. We always need a little competition, right? So we can play a little cornhole. You know, have some good beers. I think that's perfect. You know, we'll take us right into our activity. Yeah, I, this is this is you know, when people say you only have it in New York. Um, one of our favorite things to do that you can't replicate in other cities is the the county clubs in Greater New York area. Um, we have these legendary county clubs. We have comedy clubs in Westchester, Rockland County, Manhattan that are just unbelievable. We we went to this hole in the wall comedy club on the upper west side in the middle of summer you can drive right in because everyone um leaves new york city in the summer and you can even find parking in the street anytime you want um this hole in the wall on the upper west side i don't even know the name but like a couple decent acts there's like 20 people in the room all of a sudden guy walks in low hat big coat takes it takes it off four feet from us jerry seinfeld working on material right in front oh, of us wow. i'll send you the picture after like that only happens in new york and so that's an activity in New York, if you're not doing, you're missing out big time because you're either going to see somebody famous that's working on material or somebody that's going to be famous because you got to be the real deal to get on a stage in New York. Yeah, we've had one non-sports-related like sports related person on the show ever, and it was a guy named Eagle Wit because he was like the youngest guy to get past at the Comedy Cellar. And he was it was really interesting hearing about like his life as a stand-up comedian in, in Manhattan. It was wild. Like, Super cool uh, atmosphere and environment, but I, I agree. There's only there's one comedy club in Nashville, and they do not get, do not get great acts. Not a lot of great acts. Um, no, these guys are hungry. These guys are hungry, and they're gonna they're gonna have good material, or they'll get booed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, ten touches, thirty second rapid fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? A lot of serious guys. I need more funny guys. I would say a guy that played for me three years, Khalif Grant, great one-liner type kid. Um, tremendous at the one-liners, but I need to upgrade my funny guys. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, worst basketball travel experience you've had? I mean, you're in New York. I'm sure you've gotten caught up in some snowstorms in the past. This one's easy. I was the assistant at Morrisville working my day job. Uh, we had a game at Madai College in Buffalo, two and a half hours away. Um, I had a new job that I was starting outside of basketball. So I was doing double duty and I had orientation at 8 a.m. the next day in Keene, New Hampshire. So I told Joe, I got to drive to the game and head to Keene after I was, I don't, I didn't want to ever miss a game as the assistant two and a half to Buffalo, seven hours to Keene in snow in the middle of December, almost hit a moose, got there at 5 a.m. Job orientation, 8 a.m. We lost him a die, and I got my only technical fouls. An assistant felt like a loser, but tough, <laughs> tough day, tough day for me. You you act like that's commonplace. My only technical fouls and assistant assistants don't get technicals, coach. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but Joe's Joe's cool. We're like, yeah, he didn't care. The ref was awful. They all are, except for like three. So yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are you currently binge watching? If you have an opportunity tough uh i gotta admit it's handmaid's tale right now it's a little uh you know it's a weird answer this this show is insane the whole concept of it is just baffling it makes me wonder like who creates these shows it's just a wild show that it's not it's 
seems like a, like a, a feminist show, but I recommend it to people because it, it'll blow your mind how weird it is. Um, Hulu, right? It's on Hulu. It's Hulu original. Hulu, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like this uh, alternate universe where, uh, yeah, these women are forced to make babies and they're fighting Canada and the United States. It's, it's they're trying to get, yeah, they're trying to get, they want to get to Canada. Right. Cause if you get to Canada, then you're, then you're like free. It's like, the, it's like a dystopian society in the U S yeah. And you have to work past certain episodes. Cause you're just like, this is so messed up. And you Most just got to like tough. Yeah. Hands have you watched out. it? Yeah. Watched I've watched, it? I watched through two seasons yeah. and I think there's more than that, but I got through two seasons and it's not like I got through. I really enjoyed it, but then I, haven't watched it in a while, so it's going to be really hard for me to pick up. Smalls, didn't you just watch? It's hard. All- it's dark. <laughs> Smalls, yeah, it's you, super didn't, dark. Didn't you just watch season three of Stranger Things in like sixteen hours? Ah, yeah. It took took me a took me a couple days. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a different podcast, brother. What's the uh, Kyle? What's the greatest game you've ever been a part of? That's an easy one too. Two thousand fourteen. Uh, first round of the NCAA tournament, uh, assistant at Mooresville, we, we beat Brockport in their gym down by 20 at half in the first round of the tournament. We came back and won in three overtimes. I think the game went till midnight or later, woke up the next day and beat nationally ranked Hobart, um, to advance to the sweet 16, but it was incredible. Sold out gym, three overtimes, 20 point deficit. Um, checked every box of the like yeah the game. That's one where you don't sleep. At you're so tired, you're just like exhausted, but you don't sleep because you're just like so fired up from from how the game was. You're just like so juiced when you get back to your room. Oh, and our guys were so good. The next day versus Hobart, and they had Mike. It was Mike Near, who was like a legendary Division three coach. His last game and uh, at Hobart, and we beat them. They had an All American like on with no gas. I was like I was amazed by those guys that day. <laughs> it was that was something else. Who is, uh, we've talked a good bit about this, but uh, who are the best, give me two, who are the best guys to steal from, best coaches to steal from? Well, the hottest March Madness coach, right? Like, I love it. Porter Moser wins one conference tournament. Now everyone's running like what they run, even though the year before they won like 13 games. It's hilarious. (laughs) But uh, no, in truth, I love this guy. If you got him on here, you would get the highest ratings. Um, Jim Crutchfield, Nova Southeastern, formerly West Liberty. There's not a lot out there on this guy. Like he did a uh, basketball immersion podcast recently. And just like gave that. gold. He gave gold the whole, it was unbelievable. Like they don't do many drills in practice, if any, because he's like, everyone boxes out on the box out drill. They do it in, you know, they just scrimmage and like do live game stuff, the whole practice, just totally different approach to the game than like an overcoach. Um, I mean, he always says, I'm not a joystick coach. So. Um, it's so hard to pull stuff from him in film. If you watch film of their games, it's like it's just up and down, up and down. It's like dribble handoff, quick shot, dribble handoff, pass, shoot, dribble baseline. It's like I was trying to figure it out. I was like, no way. I'm never we, gonna I'm never gonna get this. We we've had some conversations about West Liberty and Nova Southeastern behind the scenes, Smalls and I, just in terms of like what it's like to build your program like that and how they play. Like we've actually I think this would be surprising to people to hear that, like, that's actually a guy whose name has come up several times when we've kind of, like, I don't know, like, brainstormed, like, ideas of who to get on the show just because of, you know, the way that he's built his programs and the way that they play. Because people like that, I think, are very interesting. And again, he does have, he has, like, an 88% winning percentage. Like, yeah, it's and he took over a program that was bad. I want to say West Liberty was bad. So, like, it's just, it's really hard to win a college basketball game. That's one thing you learn when you're a head coach. It's like, 
you don't realize how hard everybody wants to win. You know, everybody wants to be the best team. And this guy wins 88% of his games. It's, it's remarkable every single year, like no bad years ever. So um, he's one that I love just his pre approach, player first approach. Um, all, you know, I, you know, some of the guy Tony Bennett is great, not because of the pack line. Um, I heard him on a podcast once where he's talking about Jerry Sloan and the, you know, the fact that jazz ran five or seven things in the stocks of the Malone era. He's, he's like, he's, he's an oddly, uh, you wouldn't think it like a simple coach keeps it simple. And I, that's kind of how I like to do things. I don't like to overcoach, um, players win games and everything like that. So, you know, Tony Bennett's great. He's, 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 he's awesome. I, you, you gotta give him his props. The, the, the one thing I would say about Tony Bennett is like, I do think guys should steal his demeanor. Uh, like, I, and it's hard to do obviously, but there's just the way that like he speaks to his players and he seems to speak to his assistants and we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but I always come away like so impressed with how like poised he is. And I know that sounds like so cliche and it's just like a classic Tony Bennett comment, but I just, I'm just routinely very impressed with him and how just like he presents himself as like the leader of the program, I think. No, it's, yeah, I've, I've thought of that. That's just a great point. He's, he's pretty, he's kind of like a rock star in the coaching world now, how he does everything. So, all right. What would you do if not coaching? You know, if I didn't switch and spend all this time coaching in my mid 20s, I probably would have tried to get, I have a master's. I probably would have tried to get my doctorate and, and go. I've always like envied college professors. I just feel like they have like incredible jobs. They, it's like they teach six hours a week, um, summers off. It seems like, and they make tons of money. Um, you know, I think the best college course is basketball. I think every Division three coach would make as much as the professors. Uh, that's another podcast we'll do that on. Um, but college professors, they're awesome. You know, they haven't made, so. <laughs> yeah. Tenure, get tenure, like write a couple books every once in a while, go a little <laughs> wild, you know, write a, I, write a couple books yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's what they do. What would you change about college basketball? Uh, probably, I think I heard this before. I can't stand the timeout rule. It's so awful. Yeah. Let me let you call um, your like, own, like, let you call your own timeouts. Yeah. Yeah, like six seconds left, and I'm yelling at my player to take a timeout. Who's like thinking about while he's dribbling? Then they pick up the ball. The other team blitzes him. He's trying to call timeout with his hands when he can just yell at the ref. It's just like the dumbest play. It creates like there's like I've seen like fights because of it because the other guy always tries to go and steal it while the kid's picking the ball up and yelling at the ref timeout. It's so dumb that they did that. I don't know why. I don't know how that enhanced the game of basketball. Didn't make it faster. (laughs) I would, I would wonder like who was like, this needs to happen. We'll have to dig a little deeper. Do you have a pregame routine or any superstitions? Nothing too crazy. Um, We do, uh, you know, I'll get changed about 10 minutes before my final pregame talk. So that's about 40 on the game clock. I'm a real minute to minute person. Like I, I need my minutes to be accurate or I get mad. Um, 28 minutes, the assistants bring the team down to the locker room or into the locker room if it's an away game. Need to have that at 28. Um, so I have about, you know, 10, 12 minutes to get changed. Send the guys back up to the court at 20 minutes on the dot. We'll match it with my watch. Sometimes the girls' game, the doubleheader goes long. That messes up my whole equilibrium. <laughs> um, then I go back tough. to my office. It's awful. I go back to my office because um, I hate being up there too early listen to usually two songs on YouTube while I'm looking over my game card, two songs, about eight minutes. So that gets me to the 12, 11 minute mark. Um, rotate the songs every three or four games. I think I ended with, uh, 
uh, what did I end with? Uh, Young the Giant, Cough Syrup, good song. Uh, Kid Cudi, Pursuit of Happiness, good song. Those are my last two. First Farmingdale that we lost, so I'm going to retire those ones. And then I'll head up to the court, check the starters, and hang out with my assistants on the bench. I don't try to intimidate the other team, stare them down, or do anything like that. Just hang out with my our assistants and talk about how many fans there are, aren't, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, whatever, whatever's there, whatever happens. I love it. What's your secret talent? I love the bar game hobby answer. Everyone's the best at these until they aren't, you know, um, I thought I was amazing at cornhole in my in-laws backyard. And then me and my father-in-law played in a cornhole tournament and lost to a, like a 70 year old woman named Bobby Joe that was like 800 pounds. And she just destroyed us and laughed us off the board. Um, <laughs> I thought I was good at ping pong and then like our assistant volleyball coach at our Christmas party just like force gumped me, like destroyed me. <laughs> um, I've never been humbled in Mario Kart. So I will say that's my talent. Oh, okay. Um, okay. My freshman year of college, my pregame ritual, like St. Ives forties, large pizza, me and my sweet mates would play Mario Kart before we'd go out. So I probably have 10,000 hours put it in Mario Kart <laughs> and I've yet to be humbled in Mario Kart. So I'll say, that's my secret talent until somebody beats me. And I do it. Me and my wife have it in the town of 64 still. And we play Mario Kart once our baby goes to sleep before we go to bed some night. So what um, character, what character do you use? Yeah. You know, um, Toad is good. He's fast. But he's, he's light. He's light. He can turn. Yeah. Yeah. But 150cc, he's going he's gonna to run into the wall. So, you know, Mario is designed to be the best for a reason. He's, he's the, you know, he's the Michael Jordan of Mario Kart. And, uh, you go with Mario or even Wario, you're going to win. So um, I found those two to be the best. Uh, Princess Peach would beg to differ because that's my character. And uh, I don't know. She's nimble with the shortcuts. I always use Yoshi. I always use Yoshi. And I, I, was, I got really good at like the, I don't know, whatever they're called when you hit L or R, when you turn to be able to like drift when you turned. And now I got power nothing. Slide. I try, I try, yeah, power slide. I tried to do it, try to play like, Six months ago, when I was back at my mom's house, and I was just awful. I was like losing to the computer at 150 cc. It's really bad. Are you are you a shortcut hot take, guy? Hot take, hot take with Princess Peach right after the Wings World. I mean, it's, equal pay movement. <laughs> I see what you did there. That's what we're, we're an equal pay podcast. I watched the Women's World Cup on uh, Sunday. I, I, I tuned in. Absolutely. I, for, I, yeah, I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot. I, I watched like 20 minutes of the World Cup. It was. Um, it was great. Soccer to me is like watching paint dry. So that's just how I am, but that's okay. Why don't you describe your lacrosse game to us in 30 seconds? And I see here on the prep sheet, hashtag RIP twine. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, I would scrap. I'd run around a lot, but um, maybe because I didn't love it. I, I really need to improve my stick skills. Um, I lacked broiness, but you know, again, I was, a fit at Albany because we weren't the private school lax bros, but you know, I was a midi, I ran around a lot, I took some face offs. Um, you know, uh, it's good, good, not great. I was able to play at Albany. I think they're a, they're a powerhouse now, yeah. like uh, top, yeah. top five, top Thompson 10, brothers. Uh, I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, they had like two of the top lacrosse players with the Thompson brothers, right? That went to Albany. I'm pretty sure, yeah. They, yeah, they were uh, from the school that was our rival in high school. So their older brothers were like my uh, rivals. They're great guys too. And they actually like kind of always become like the cool program too. They they do this crazy thing with their headshots every year where they have like um, like leather ties on or medallions and like crazy hairdo. You, you got to look it up. All the headshots, all the lacrosse headshots. It's terrific. That's awesome. How about two future podcast guests for us? 
Got to go with the two guys I worked for, Adam Stockwell, extremely smart coach at Hamilton. You have to be to work at Hamilton. He's won, I think, at three different schools or made the NCAA tournament at three different Division three schools. Was a D1 assistant for a while. Um, he's gotten Hamilton really from a new NESCAC program to the top the past couple of years, and they're not looking back. Um, we scheduled them next year because we're, we're friends. And I, I'm kind of regretting that, but he's he's extremely smart. He runs a players type program too. He doesn't overcoach. Really good approach to the game. Um, and then Joe Smith at Morrisville. If I could have a job interview like sit in person or a podcast sit in person, because it would be him. He speaks much slower, much more articulate. He sounds really good. Like he's 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 got a like he's probably 100% in interviews. Um, I know he's turned down one job before. Um, he's 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 a rock star with like his, his speech. Um, real players first approach as well. Probably where I got it from. And he's won I think five or six conference championships in nine years. So he's somebody you want to get on there. And he actually played for this Tom Murphy at Hamilton, who I've never met. I don't know him. But I know somebody like what he calls Murphyisms. It's, it's out of control. Like the guy was like an old school basketball coach that just did like hilarious things. Wouldn't sub first, listed his high school room on the roster. All um, he'd be a great guest. Good suggestions. Uh, last segment, same two questions to every guest. We call these parting shots. I got the first one. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, everyone has a different path, um, and embrace it. And it was a guy that's, uh, you won't even probably remember telling me this. It was really, really early on. I was working at a camp and he was a manager at Syracuse. He's now a Worcester Academy assistant, Dan Sullivan, great guy. Um, but I was like baffled. He introduced me to hoop dirt actually, which is like horrible. Um, he, uh, you know, I was like, wow, this guy became the head coach. And he kind of said that and, and oddly it stuck with me. I don't think he created that quote. Um, but like there's, these coaches, I'm a lacrosse player. Some, some coaches like Jawan Howard, um, you know, the Texas tech coach didn't play in college. Like everybody has a unique story and basketball is really the only sport that you can pull that off. So um, embrace it. Don't be embarrassed by it. You know, I was a little insecure at first, not playing, but um, win a few games and you forget about it. So, you know, coaches have used it against me in recruiting and, you know, I'm just going to show them we don't have transfers that leave and we win games and I'm going to you know, let the coaching do the talking, not what I did. 15 years ago while I played. So, um, yeah, that's like probably that. it. That's a good point. Face to face with your 24 year old self. What are you telling that person? I know we're winding down. I don't want to get emo on the last one, but I would say, uh, maintain relationships better. Um, a lot of great guys, a lot of great people have come and gone in my life that you fall out of touch with. And, you know, I tell stories about them or things we've done. And I'd like, I don't even talk to this guy anymore. And it's kind of sad. And then it gets awkward. Um, so, uh, you know, these guys have asked me to do things, say no, you know, say yes more than no, do things, keep those relationships because, um, that's really when you get older, it starts to become everything. Um, 35 now, um, it's really invaluable. So I would probably do better than that than just like focusing on my own rat race. Yeah. I, I like, we, we've talked about that before. Like, say yes, like just say yes to more stuff. Cause you get to a certain age and you, you can't do it. any you can't say yes to as much stuff as you wish you could have. So you have to understand that that's kind of like a, uh, I don't know. I don't know the right way to put it. You kind of have a cap on how long you can do that for it in your life. So I appreciate that advice. And I don't, I don't think it's emo to be honest with you. I think it's just legitimately like looking back and, you know, we want young guys to listen to this and, and, you know, the two points you made, like everyone has their own path and, maintain relationships like those are two of the most important things that I think young coaches can can learn because you get to be 22 and have your whole coaching career ahead of you 
only one time. So I appreciate you being really honest about that. Um, he is at Purchase MBB on Twitter. Go ahead and give them a follow. Kyle, we got to get you your own Twitter account, though. I, I, we talked about this. We got to get these takes on Twitter, I think. You know, that you can't do it as much from the, the team account. But when you get your own, let us know and, and yeah. we, we, will, we will tweet it out there. Uh, it's a boring time of the year anyway. Summer League's almost over. Women's World Cup so, is over. You know, now it's just baseball until, until football season starts. So there's not a lot of things to fire takes into the abyss about. But purchase MBB on Twitter just like it sounds. And uh, Kyle, we really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, hopefully we'll see you around this summer on the recruiting trail. Awesome, guys. I appreciate it. You got a great show, and I uh, look forward to listening to more of them. Thank you.